guilty soul condemned by shame hear mercy calling out your name his blood can cleanse your every stain bring your failures to the cross hello and welcome to the community bible church podcast where we are doing a chapter by chapter weekly study of the book gentle and lowly the Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. My name is Joseph Brader. I'm the pastor of worship and discipleship at Community Bible Church of Orange Park. And today I am joined by two of our other elders, Jim Peterson and Fred Hoffland. Hey, guys. Hey. Hi. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Good. Yes, doing well. Good. Thank you guys for, for joining up today, joining the podcast and being part of this conversation. Um, we are coming towards the end of the book. Um, there are only three chapters left for us on this uh, on this podcast. And then, as I've said, we're going to do uh, one more podcast after that, after Pastor Matt's back from sabbatical. And uh, he and I are just going to talk through some of the questions and objections that have been raised uh, to this book um, by, by a couple of individuals and a couple of voices. And so we just want to take some time to talk through that. But for now, we're going to talk about chapter 21 and discuss a few questions that came out of uh, this chapter entitled, He Loved Us Then, He'll Love Us Now. Why is it often hard for us to believe that God continues to put away all of our present failures that happen after our conversion, after new birth? It's one of those things that we think if we have been converted, if we've been changed, and we're given a new heart, and we go back to repeating the old patterns at times, and we say, wait a minute, how is this going to be so easily forgiven does does God say well I'll teach you a lesson right yeah and that's something I think that we we have a sense of anyway I have that experience and those kind of internal thoughts if you will Jim any, uh, any well, I think I think that we in so many cases try to put our human perspective uh, on God yeah and uh, it's so difficult for us to even forgives many people. <laughs> yeah. It's mm -hmm. hard to understand how he puts it all away, both past, present, and future. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think, one of the big things that this book is doing is it's trying to, to sort of unravel our projection of our own experiences and emotions and feelings and whatever onto God. It's trying to unravel that and give us a more biblical and therefore more truthful and accurate understanding of who God is and how he relates to his children. But yeah, I, Fred, you said something that, that resonates with me. It's easier for me to think that God has wiped the slate clean from before my conversion, right? But afterwards, we kind of think we should know better. We should. That's not, that's not wrong. That's not incorrect. We should know better. Um, the Puritans would talk about that as, uh, I believe, sinning against light. So now you, you kind of know what you're doing and you did it anyway. And it's harder for me to uh, to believe that God is patient and loving, I think, towards that than towards sin that I committed when I was you know, a rebel and an enemy and a child of wrath before I had the Spirit in me convicting me and working in me. So I think that's uh, it's, it's this different category that we almost have for our sin post-conversion. And we think, man, God God probably doesn't forget that so easily. <laughs> he's kind of he's keeping the, the tally, like you were saying, Jim. How does Romans 5 
specifically verses 6 through 11, address that unbelief that we're talking about. We've said it's hard for us to believe often that God continues to put away our present failures. How does Romans 5 address that lack of belief? Well, I think it's clear in there that um, he, while we were yet sinning, he died for us. Yeah. And you just can't, you can't look at that enough. You got to keep coming back to it to comprehend it. Yeah. Right, and I think that there's a development in that passage as well that they refer to that it's repeated as the chapter points out and it goes from the past but then it continues into the present as well that if this has happened in the past then how much more confident can we be that now that we've been saved now that we have that spirit that God will continue to love us. Yeah. Yeah, he already loved us when we were infinitely less lovable, (laughs) right, if we can put it that way. When we are, like I was just, you know, enemies of God, children of wrath, we're rebels, we're, uh, I mean, like we are totally and completely in opposition to God. That's when he loved us and pursued us in the gospel that's demonstrated at the cross. So why in the world would we doubt that he loves us now? He's all, we, we, we get the script flipped almost. We think it's harder to love us now, but that's not the that's not the case. It's harder to love someone who's in complete opposition to you, running away from you. He's already loved us like that. So why do we question it? Yeah, it's not something that we should do. And one of the reasons I think is we look at ourselves more rather than ourselves in union with Christ, mm-hmm. having his righteousness. And that's why God is able to continue to love us because he's made us perfect in Christ. Mm -hmm. But if we look at just what am I doing in the flesh, in my weakness, then we say, well, I'm not sure I love myself today. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, yeah. And once again, Jim, we're projecting then what we think about ourselves or how we see other people or interact with other people onto God. Yep. That's something I've appreciated uh, that you've talked about regularly in our staff meetings. I think think it's a... it's a core belief of mine that, that we do that so often with God. Yeah. And it's unbiblical. Yeah. Unbiblical, wrong, and dangerous because it causes us to really doubt the heart of the gospel and the heart of God. But Fred, I uh, really appreciate you know this sort of emphasis on our union with Christ. That's something we read a lot from particularly maybe the early reformers. And there's, there's this emphasis on like, this is your assurance. This is your standing. This is... And it's so important to keep coming back to that when everything in us says, look at yourself, look inward, and then see how you measure up. And it's never good. (laughs) Well, he's not for me. I don't know about you guys. When I do that, it never looks good for me. Why can our conversion be described as the invincibilizing of our future? He talks about this on page 193. I'm not even sure invincibilizing is a real word, but I like it. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> That's what I thought, too. You know, when you when you make up a new word for a concept, you kind of go, there's something different here. There's something, right, exactly. <laughs> we want to pick that out and talk about it a little bit, yeah. Why can he talk, why can he coin that, that term, invincibilizing of our future? What does that tell us? It's just that our future is secure. Mm-hmm. Once he's got our us in his grasp, nothing's going take, to take us away. Yeah, when we think about being invincible, there's no one, nothing that can come against mm-hmm. us that can conquer us. And I think that's what 
His reference is that once we are loved by God, held by Him, clothed with Christ's righteousness, mm -hmm. then we are invincible. Yeah. And how encouraging is that, right? <laughs> yes. And once again, it's all rooted in the work of Christ for us, and now in our new identity in Christ, being counted righteous in Christ, united to Him. That's the beauty and the outworking of the gospel and the hope of the gospel. He said one other thing, and I don't even have a question about this so much as like a general musing <laughs> about it. But he talked about the, the human tendency to look back or to look inward and to feel guilt over our past and present sin. And the tendency for that guilt to cause us to doubt the love of God and the power of the gospel in us. But he argues, I think really helpfully, that it's actually quite the opposite. That what's happening is something that can only be done by the Spirit, right? This increasing sensitivity towards our sin, and increasing awareness of it, and then sensitivity towards it, and hatred for it, is actually the evidence of the gospel's power, and of the love of God poured out on us through the Holy Spirit, and the work of the Spirit in us. Like that doesn't happen without the Spirit's work and the power of the gospel in you, you know? <laughs> and that, again, flips on its head our, our normal experience. I resonate with that. I, I see my sin. I see this. The, it feels like years and years of, I mean, it is years and years of struggle and sin and whatever. And I think, man, why isn't the gospel doing anything in me? <laughs> What's my problem? But the, uh, the very fact that I see so much more of my sin and see layers down, un, you know, deeper layers of my sin that I couldn't have even seen or understood just a few years ago, that's actually the Spirit's work. Instead of causing us to doubt what's happening in us, it should give us a greater confidence in what God is doing in us. And I'm going to stop talking about it because I really don't have a question. Uh, I just thought it was a really important, cool, helpful thing that he talked about. I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts about that particular thing? One thought that comes to my mind is, is that you, you're looking back at all these sinful things you did at age 33. Wait till you get to my age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In case you didn't know, I'm 78. Yeah. Um, and still sinning. That's right. I guess, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you've had, you've had a much longer lifespan. I mean, just to sort of experience the same thing. And to wrestle, I would think, with an ever-increasing awareness of your sin. Yeah, I learned a long time ago that, that God doesn't keep a ledger on me. Right, yeah. That he wiped that slate clean. Yeah. Um, and that was hard to grapple with in my younger years. For sure. Um, <clears throat> but easier now. Mm -hmm. Years of, of gospel belief yeah. and gospel centrality and gospel saturation have made it easier to believe gospel truth, which is awesome. That's what's supposed to happen. Praise God for that. Mm -hmm. Amen. And I think it also gives us a longing for heaven when we mm. will not struggle with sin anymore. Yeah. And we think, Amen. then I can be perfect. At, at the end, near the end of the chapter, he said, we will be less sinful in the next life than we are now, but we will not be any more secure in the next life mm -hmm. than we are now. And it, maybe the first part put a little mildly, but we understand right. what he says. A, yeah, he's trying to make a parallel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah. But, but that's one of the glories of heaven, that we think, I won't have that struggle anymore. Yeah. And my whole 
being, thought, word, and deed will be perfected yeah. and in line with with God's love. Yeah. I cannot wait for that. Let me tell you what. Well, on that note, we'll wrap up our conversation uh, for today. But as always, I hope this is um, serving to help you and to spark some conversations with others at CBC as you're reading along uh, with the book. And I will finish up by reading Matthew 11, 28 to 30 again. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here you find your comfort, come you lost and find your home. There is grace for every sinner, perfect rest in Christ alone.